French-American Samantha Barant delivers perfectly seasoned fiction that combines her passions in life, food and love. And her latest book, The Spice Master at Bistro Exotique, set in Paris, is a romantic and culinary delight. Welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler. And in Binge Reading this week, Samantha talks about moving to France and marrying a sexy French rocket scientist she met in 1989, but ignored for 20 years, and writing about that adventure in best-selling memoirs and then three entertaining rom-coms accompanied by lots of mouth-watering recipes. As usual, we've got some great giveaways, details for those and all of Samantha's contact details. She's happy to answer book club questions if you're interested at the show notes for this episode on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. And remember, if you like the show, do recommend us to other people. Leave us a review so others will hear about the show too. There's nothing better than word of mouth recommendations. But now, here's our show. Hello there, Samantha, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. I'm here in France, in southwestern France, and you're way over there in New Zealand. <laughs> That's right. And We've got to be honest, this is our second attempt at this. We had a disastrous attempt a couple of nights ago where for some reason we got a double recording of our voices. So this time it's going to be trouble free. Look, we're talking today about your latest book, The Spice Master at Bistro Exotique. And it's your most recent fiction. It's a fantastic story of a chef in France, a French-American chef setting up a new restaurant. But all of your books show passions for two things, France and food. And I wondered which came first. Well, honestly, food came first. When I was nine years old, I was ripping out recipes from Bon Appetit and Gourmet Magazine. And I think my pièce de résistance came when I was 11. And I made a 20-pound Sunday pie with... Chocolate leaves, I molded from actual leaves. It's a big joke in my family because my father was, this pie was so much, but I've always been drawn to the kitchen and cooking. And then when I went to France, hello, French recipes. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds gorgeous. Now, the fiction that you've written, the heroines are all female chefs. You write about food and love. But it's not as if they just fall into men's arms. You give them very strong individual stories. They're following their dreams. And in the case of all of your heroines so far, they're chasing after Michelin stars. Talk a bit about the Michelin stars status in the food industry and why it's so important for women to get them. Well, it's really important because not many businesses um, using the term female chefs, may. Here's a little French, in quotes, they've been sideswiped by Michelin, and you'll find many men have the stars, and it's a very competitive 
arena for women to fight for. But there are more and more women coming out that are starred or making their mark in the culinary world. So it's really important to just get rid of the misogyny in the kitchen and move forward with that. Who was the first woman to get a Michelin star? Oh, the first woman. Oh, good question. I'm not sure, but I know chefs like Dominique Craig, she recently received a star. And she is a wonderful chef. She is in San Francisco. She's French. Has she got her own restaurant? Yeah, it's Atelier Quinn. And she does a lot. And she's a very go-for-the-gusto kind of chef. Then there's Gabrielle. I believe her last name is Hamilton. And she's really well-known. Yeah, little by little, women, female chefs, and they should just be called chefs are making their mark. So that's awesome. Yes, I noticed that in the Bistro Exotique book, you make a point of giving your heroine the title chef. And I gather it sometimes it's difficult for women to get the respect of being called chef in the kitchen, although it's readily given to men. Do I understand that right? I, I think any leader in a kitchen, they should be called chef. Yes, chef. We chef. It is a sign of respect. And for people to assume, I believe she had interns or, as we say in France, stagiaires coming. They looked to the male lead in the book and they were calling him chef. And he said, no, that title's reserved for Sophie. And that was a major sign of him showing respect for her. Yes. Yeah, that was a great moment, actually. You have two books before this, fiction books, and two memoir books and we'll start talking about the memoir in a little bit of longer because that was where you first started but the secrets recipes of Sophie Valroux that was her first one and then Sophie Valroux's Paris Stars was the second they were as you would imagine the same heroine in both and a continuing story Sophie begins with a disastrous experience in a New York restaurant partly set up by this misogyny that you've been referring to. And she believes that her cooking career is over, so she escapes to France. Tell us a bit about this background for those stories. The background for the secret French recipes of Sophie Galroux, initially I really wanted to write a book that takes place in the area that I live in, which is southwestern France. So the area it takes place in is about an hour away from Label. And with the misogyny in the kitchen, there's always an American, because I'm American, who is moving or working or living in France and my books, because it's something I very much relate to. So the brief synopsis is she is set up by an ex-boyfriend. She's actually a sous chef at a New York restaurant. And she is blamed for the loss of a star, which is devastating in the world. She didn't do it. Her grandmother has a chateau in southwestern France. And so he arrives to France to lick her wounds and to have a new start in life. But what she's not expecting is the chateau has two restaurants and she's expected to leave one of them after a terrible downfall. So the story is about her getting her morale back together. She is whiny and cringy in the beginning, but little by little, 
after having such a failure and feeling devastated. She finds her heart and her way back into the kitchen, mainly through her grandmother's recipes. Yes. And even in Bistro Exotique, you talk about the gaining of self-confidence as well as love through her work. This feeling of having some purpose in life is very important to your main characters, isn't it? Yeah, I think following your dreams is really important. Even when you're feeling down, you have to persevere, move forward, and not let life slap you down. That's important. Yes. You provide a generous number of recipes for readers in all of these books. And in Bistro Exotique, it's a fantastic looking ice cream recipe, Charles's Coconut Ice Cream. And readers can get it from your website if they want to. We'll have links for that in the, in the sound notes for this episode. Do you get a lot of good feedback from people? Do they make some of your suggestions? Oh, yeah, they do. And I think it's an added bonus to have recipes in the book, especially since I'm describing the food. And what if somebody goes, oh, my God, that sounds so great, and they want to make it. And so before writing out the recipes, of course, I test them a lot. And I have my two French critics here, or three, actually, my French family. And so they eat really well when I'm testing. That's wonderful. Yes, you mentioned your French family rather provocatively on your website. You say that you, quotes married a sexy French rocket scientist that you met in 1989 brackets, but ignored for 20 years. Now, you can't leave a teaser like that without <laughs> giving us a little bit of background story there. I met my French husband at a cafe in Paris in 1989. I was 19. He was 26. And I was with my best friend, Tracy, who is also, it's in the memoir. This story's in Seven Letters from Paris. And he wrote me after our brief Rendezvous, he wrote me seven love letters, and I didn't write him back until 20 years later. And I'm now married to him. Our 13th wedding anniversary is May 7th. Oh, fantastic. And when you wrote back, give the readers a little bit of explanation about how you wrote back. You actually were just trying to apologize a little bit, weren't you? Yeah, it was only supposed to be an apology. I was going through a divorce and packing up my things and I found his letters and they said, why didn't I ever write him back? So I just wrote him, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to let you know, I've always kept your letters and they meant a lot to me at the time. But at the time I was too young to connect with them. They were very romantic. He was ready for maybe a relationship and I was finishing up university. I was young. And at first, he didn't know who I was. He thought, Samantha, could this be a trap to go to a porno site? <laughs> so he didn't respond to me at all. And finally, it clicked in his head. And he was like, oh, I remember that American girl. And he wrote me back. And one thing led to another. We started emailing. He was going through a divorce as well. And we were emailing and emails turned to Skyping and FaceTiming. And eventually I went to France to meet up with him again. Yeah. 
Now, as you say, that story is told in seven letters from Paris and some of the excerpts, well, I think almost the total content of the letters is in the book. And then you followed it up with how to make a French family. So you wrote these two memoirs, which related very directly to your life before you started on the fiction. Did you find that transition from memoir to fiction difficult? And did it change your writing process when you did make that change? I don't think it really changed the writing process because even with memoir, you need a beginning, a middle, an end, you need conflict, character growth. But I was writing fiction before the memoirs. I started writing young adult in middle grade. And then my story began happening to me. So I actually started writing seven letters during this whole process. And the funny thing was, I didn't have the ending yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And with your books, is that the same? Do you know the ending at the beginning? Now I do. Now I do because as an author, and if you're working with an agent, which I did not have for seven letters, I actually sold them myself to source books who accepted unsolicited manuscripts. Um, I don't know if they still do. They might. They have no idea. But for secret French recipes, I was what is called a panster. I was flying by the seat of my hands. There were many plot points that drastically changed. And then moving forward for the next book, the follow-up book, for the proposal, I had to do a full outline. And so now my writing styles change from plotter or panster to plotter and in between. So I'm a planster, somebody <laughs> that plots and flies by the seat of their man. <laughs> With that second book, your two children in the family were probably getting to the age where they were a little bit sensitive about their public profiles. How did you resolve that? Did you discuss it with them beforehand that you were going to put them in the book? Did you use their real names? Yes, their <laughs> real names. And Sean Luke's real name. So when you Google my husband, I come out. They, no, they just basically request no photos. There are few and far between photos of them online. They didn't mind being in the book. It's memoir. There, there were some name changes. Ex-husband, his name is not Chris. That's great. I noticed that you make yourself willing to record YouTube videos for book clubs around the world because the whole thing of setting up book club interviews across time zones is quite difficult. So you've got this great idea. They can submit seven questions, which you respond to. I wondered if you could just give us the details of how you do that. People who might be interested can just go straight online and contact you with it. That's actually segued more into, I will create a video and it does work. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a, hi, I'm the author. <laughs> Welcome to book club. If you have any questions, because sometimes the questions don't come prior, but it's moved to just sending a video to whoever who is posting that book club segment. So I can either send it via email, a little video, or upload it to my Google Drive if it's too big of a file and it's easy to access. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. 
And can you tell us what countries have you had responses from? Have you had some saying that in the States, for example? The States is Spain because they do most of the marketing for the books in the U.S. Yes. And India, where else? Let me see, other countries. I don't know if I've ever done one for Australia and New Zealand, but I'd be more than willing to. Oh, that's lovely. And is there a question that readers ask you more than any other? Is there one popular that pops up all the time? Recently, the question is, is there a follow-up to Space Master? Uh-huh. Or on the flip side, it's what are you writing now? Yes. So. And is there a follow-up to the Spice Master? I was thinking about it, but I think it's fine for a standalone. I had an idea to tell the story in Garance's perspective because she doesn't have a love match herself. And yeah. she kind of orchestrated the love match. The spices. <laughs> Perhaps it would be a good idea for people who haven't yet had a chance to read the book to explain who Garance was and how the story evolves. Okay, so the Spice Master of Bistro Exotic is about an American chef who has lived in Paris since she's been 15 years old. And she's on the cusp of opening up her own restaurant. And it's followed one disaster after the other. She meets this woman girl on the corner with her big giant cat, who's actually my cat. And Grant says, I'm the most renowned Spice master in the world. If you use my spices, I can help you. And Kate's like, eh, new. No. Okay. Strangely, <laughs> with a cat that wears diamond collars. But eventually, there are more disasters, and she really needs this help, who also happens to be the landlord of her restaurant. She enlists Grant's help, but there is a caveat. She has to work with Grant's son. The egotistical and sipperger Charles. So little by little, as Kate gets her grounding, she and Charles begin to work together and the recipes they create. And it's just like about passion and the sensory passion of food and food in Monaco, hand in hand. And yeah, so... We have meddling moms and spice master. We have enemies to lover trope kind of thing and a bunch of wacky characters. And there's a little bit of magic realism in it too, in a sense, isn't there? Because Kate gets transported to genuinely tropical islands when she smells these spices. And she wonders whether Garant has put a spell on the spices somehow. You have some wonderful descriptions there of the images that come to her mind when she smells these spices. That was inspired by the idea that does transport you. I think Marcel Proust, he wrote one of his short stories, he is eating a madeleine, and he could taste the way his grandmother made it. It's a very, very famous, the remembrance of things long past or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's just about the magic of food I, and how if you're eating something and you're just placed and then uh, where the memories, like your grandmother's kitchen or somewhere else, the islands. And that's what Kate thinks. So the magical in the beginning of the book, I said, is it real or is it not? So it could be. 
but it might not be. When you went to France and started eating French food, was there a particular meal or dish which still resonates for you today? I think all of them, but the one that resonates with me the most was my first Christmas in France. It was the Cive de Saint-Louis, which is wild boar. And my brother-in-law was like, I shot it myself. And I, I looked at the sauce and then I nudged Jean-Luc with my elbows and the sauce. And he's like, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. What sauce? And I went, oh, well, I don't think I, I can eat this. I took a bite or like, it wasn't for me. But since then, it was feet into the fire with some French meals. That's the most memorable one. and I. Actually, I do like it after having it a second and third time. Yes. Clearly, I'm not a vegetarian. It was interesting, too. You wrote about that fish meal that Jean-Luc ordered for you, and you absolutely hated it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was another one. It was a pot de food de la mer, which is, it was basically fish soup, and I had eyeballs and heads staring up there. So it was so awkward. And I'm trying to be polite. How's your real? Oh, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> well, go on. Like he wants. I think he guessed that you hated it, didn't he? He did. He liked <laughs> watching me squirm. Moving on from the specific books to a wider look at your creative writing life. You mentioned that you had started writing before you even went to France. Tell us a bit about those first 20 years or so and what were you doing and how did it help feed into your creative life when you started writing? Okay, so I've always been a renaissance woman. I guess I could use that expression. I've always been a creative. I went to performing arts high school. I auditioned for voice and theater and shows theater as my major. And then art really took over my life. And I went to Syracuse University for advertising design. And for 20 years prior to writing, but I started writing during that time, I worked in advertising. So I think all of those experiences allow me to color my world, if you will. Sing on the page, act out scenes, and do the things I love to do, but with words. Yeah. And did you decide that you preferred the written word to design at some point? Yeah, I think in advertising, there's definitely a burnout syndrome where you're working long hours, you're selling things and you're creating things. And I still get that creative output and I still play around with Illustrator and I love photography. But yeah, I really adore writing and I think it's something I should have pursued when I was much younger. I've always been an avid reader. Yes. If there's one thing that you would credit as the, quote, secret of your success in your writing life, what would it be? It's never give up. Believe in yourself at the same time. Push forward and onwards. Rejection is a big word. You start off with trying to get an agent. And to make this more positive, celebrate all your tiny victories. Yes. Too. Yeah. Are you still with the same publisher that you started with? I am as of now, but I'm working on a new book and we'll see if they like it. What do you find the most challenging thing about being an author? 
I think it's finding the motivation to sit in the chair because you're not answering to anybody but yourself. So you have to set time to write every day, even if it's for an hour. I try and write for three to four hours a day, uh, minimum. And then unless I'm doing other things like my photography and cooking, I, I think it's just setting your own timeline and finding the structure to, to do it. Get the words on the page, take a break. Even if I'm not writing, I may go for it walk in the park to clear my head and I'm thinking about the scene I wrote and I might come back full of inspiration and then type like that weird cat and that weird maybe meme. Yes, that cat is quite a character in in Bistro, I must say. Quite an amazing character in Bistro. It's it's fun to know that it is really your own cat. (laughs) Oh yeah, and I hope he doesn't sue me as using him as a character. And I used his last name, the Sufi books, which is Dilla Bagarol, because he comes from a reader. And I was like, that's a really name. Look, this is the joys of binge reading. And you've already mentioned that you were, you are a passionate reader. Tell us a bit about your reading tastes. Have you ever been a binge reader? And what are you reading at the moment or recently that you'd like to recommend to listeners? I am definitely a binge reader. You have to rip. A book from my hands. I usually finish a book, if not in one day, two days, maximum three days. Unless I'm beta reading for somebody and I have to do, put my notes in, then that's a bit longer. But yeah, I pretty much always have a book in my hand or on my iPad because they're easier to get up in, <laughs> in France. Via Kindle or iPad. I, I, so I read a lot across genres, cozy mysteries, thrillers, uh, a lot of women's fiction. I recently read Cozy Mystery I Love, and I didn't know I loved Cozy Mysteries. But a benefit of working with Berkeley, who was my publisher the last books, is I get advanced reader copies books that I request or my author friends send me a widget to run that galley and I download it and I read and I've got a big TBR file. Huge. Yes. Well, I'm currently reading Matt Hanks' The Midnight Library and Lisa and Liz's Forever Hold Your Peace, which comes out in June. And what else do I have on my TBR pile? A man called Ave. I don't know how to pronounce it. Is that over Ave? Yes. What's Forever Hold Your Peace? What genre is it? Forever Hold Your Peace is women's fiction. And Lisa and Liz are amazing authors. They give me what we call in the industry a blurb, which is an endorsement for Spice Master. And I saw that they had a new book coming out. And I said, hey, <laughs> cuckoos. And it's Father of the Brides meets Bride Wars, but the war is between the two moms that of the bride to be, the groom to be. And it's a lot of fun. And what did you read when you were younger, even as a child? Everything. Oh my gosh. I was an early reader and I was put in when I was three or four years old with the five and six year olds. So I was 
reading Charlotte's Web, Secret Garden, Little Princess, um, oh. Giving Tree, James and the Giant Peach, yes. anything by Roald Dahl. I liked Fantasies a lot back then. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Parents had me, I think, in fifth grade, I would go to the library because my goal every summer was to read a classic a week. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing about your writing career you'd like to change, what would it be? Oh, that I started earlier. I didn't uh-huh. even know this was the path for me. I really wish I had thought about becoming a writer way back when. Like I said, I went to performing arts high school, but guess what? I was too timid and shy to ever audition for anything except for school plays outside of that. And advertising, I did enjoy it for a while, but then burnout syndrome. With writing, it's fun because you can cheat, not stick to what, unless you're ready with series like Patterson did with Alex Cross. So what is next for Samantha, the author? What does your next 12 months look like? Next 12 months looks like I am driving out of my lane, which could be good, but it's something that interests me and I'm really into this suspense domestic thriller that I'm working on. It's, the working title is The Butterfly Trap. And... It's dark, it's dirty, and I'm having so much fun with it. That's when so, you re- you refer to making a change. You can you've got the freedom to do that, haven't you? People want you to stick in your lane. I guess the lane and it's still the same in fact that it is targeted to women, so it's still women's fiction. <laughs> and is it set in France? Or? No, this one's set in New York, yeah. which is where I go home to my sisters in the tri-state area. And I went to school in New York and yeah. And it's like a rip from the headlines thing too. Yeah. One of the things on your website that we haven't mentioned at all is that you are definitely a wine lover. You mentioned that on your website. When did that passion begin and how has it changed since you've been in France or has it changed since you've been in France? Oh, it's definitely changed since I've been in France. I really like wine. If I drink something, it's wine. An occasional beer here and there on a hot day. The one thing that's changed is I recently become friends with a winemaker. Her name's Sanratha Michelle and... She met a friend of mine in Cannes, and she's in Bordeaux. And I went out to visit her, and she's the first Indian woman to launch her own label. So I've got a lot of her wine upstairs. She came here, and I'm actually reading. She's writing a memoir, and she has an agent, and it should be going out to on submission soon. So I'm really excited for her. And yes, talk a lot about wine. She's very much, she knows everything about Bordeaux. So I'm only two and a half hours away from Bordeaux. Yeah, that's great. And so are you a red or a white drinker or both? Mostly red. Yeah. Good for the heart. (laughs) (laughs) And would you be tempted? There are quite a few books about set in vineyards in France, which I actually love the vineyard books in France, vineyard mysteries and things. Tempted to write one of those? Oh, yes. I've been working and researching one since 2013. It's called The Vineyard's Curse. And 
I don't want it more historical fiction because it's the original title was The Weeping of the Minds. And The Weeping of the Minds is every May when the sap runs through and it happens for two or three days. But there are a lot of dates that come into play. There, it goes back to the phylloxera virus that was a bug that invaded France, almost destroyed all the vineyards. And I can't get too much away, right? So are you still actively working on that? Goes back and forth. If I had a standstill or with the thriller, I might look at it because I have to figure out the best way to put past and the past, like 1976, California. So this would take place in California and then France. Do you have two time zones or three? Is it historic and 1970s or is there a contemporary aspect to it as well? That's what I'm wondering. I have written a contemporary portion to it and it's a matter of structuring it so the book knows what it's going to be. And that's difficult. So yeah. that's like a bigger book because there is so much research. You wouldn't believe the research. Sounds it could end it. up like a trilogy. <laughs> oh, there, there's a possibility for that. <laughs> yeah. Do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they find you online? My readers can find me everywhere. That's somewhere. <laughs> I mostly am on Instagram or my Facebook author page. I have a website, which also has a bunch of the recipes from How to Make a Punch. Sorry, my giant cat just distracted me. <laughs> he wants food, speaking of food. <laughs> you mentioned your photography. So do you take quite a few photographs for your Instagram feed? Usually for Instagram feed, I'll punch some food photos I've okay. taken, but I use my cell phone a lot for that. Okay. The photography is more passion. I have gotten better and better over the years. I've really been training myself, light photography, dark photography. I bought a new but used camera. Oh, that's lovely. I suppose what I was really getting at was in your Instagram feed, could readers expect to see pictures which reflect your life in France, both the food and the scenery? Yeah, a little bit. There are so hidden ones. I'm Jean-Luc. Just have to go to Mexico. <laughs> there you are. Um, there's a hint. <laughs> there's cafe culture. And there's lots of my friends and yeah. people I hang out with. It, it's a glimpse into life in France. Lesnio Falls. Wonderful, Samantha. Thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic talking. Thank you so much. Thank you, and have a wonderful evening. It's morning here. It's time for another (laughs) cup of coffee. (laughs) Thank you. Next on Binge Reading in two weeks' time, best-selling biographical fiction author Marie Benedict talks about her latest bestseller, The Mitford Affair, the story of the beautiful and notorious Mitford sisters, famous and then infamous in wartime Britain, the debutantes who turned traitors. A pick of the month choice from numerous reviewers after its launch in January, described variously as a silky smooth page turner and a delicious mannered family saga. That's on Binge Reading next time. That's it for today. Thanks for listening and happy reading.